It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. <laughs> Those were protesters in front of the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. after the decision came in, after we went off the air on Friday, uh, that the court indeed did decide to overturn Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton and the Casey case out of Pennsylvania. It's, it was a stunning victory. It was actually a 5-4 vote. It wasn't a 6-3 because Justice Roberts did not, was not in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade. Go figure. Uh, this this man is the most compromising uh, judge we've ever seen, justice we've ever seen. It'll be interesting to see what happens in his future, but he was not one of the champions on this. Nevertheless, we have to remember what an incredible victory this is. And I'm going to talk in a few minutes with a good friend of mine who's been fighting this since 1973, and we're going to have a conversation about really to give you some perspective, some that you might not hear on television, some things you might not know because so much of the people... You know, most of the people reporting now and the people in the front lines of this fight are young and they don't know all the things that some of us know that were here in the back um, in the early stages of this. So I want to bring you some history on it. But it was a five to four decision. And let me just read you a couple of lines that were written. Remember that Justice Alito wrote that opinion that was leaked. We still don't know who the leaker is. Isn't that strange? Do you think Justice Roberts might hesitate to release the name of a leaker when he won't even overturn Roe versus Wade? Really? How in the world did we end up with him? But we did end up with him. And so this is what the opinion said as written by Alito. He said, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people, people's elected representatives. And um, he also goes on to say, Roe was on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. Uh, I, I don't, ha- I can't go into everything. Oh boy, how I would like to do an entire show on this. But let me just say that. Uh, when Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973, there were only a few states that were even considering abortion. It was New York and California, and I'm not sure what other states, but just a handful. Now, this was a radical, radical decision, and they made abortion legal for all nine months. That's the part that you don't know. It was only the states that actually started limiting uh, the the right to abortion, but it was a collision course 
uh, with, the, with the reality on the ground, with the Constitution, which never, ever, ever, ever granted in its text the right to abortion. So, um, and then the firestorm is now ensuing. <laughs> I just think this is amazing. Justice Clarence Thomas, by the way, they've just uh, leaked his home address, his actual home address, the house, where it is. They've been on the street around the corner a bit, but now the house. So, uh, and some of the justices, I think as many as three have been removed from their homes. Isn't that a happy thing? And in spite of that, Justice Clarence Thomas, who in many ways is the eye of the storm and his wife, Jenny, well, in his companion opinion to this, said that in future cases, we should reconsider all of the court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. And those are the, the uh, cases of uh, on gay, legalizing gay marriage and 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 um, uh, on uh, um, it, I can't even think contraception. Boy, those are fighting words. This man is uh, like a fighter, someone that you want to be in the trenches with, in your face. That's how he responds to them. So violence is breaking out all over the country, and I want to give you an idea. Uh, well, I want to give you an idea. First of all, um, in Port- in Washington, D.C., you heard them shouting, if we don't get it, burn it down. It's Antifa now who has descended on the streets of uh, D.C., and I told you before, I actually think it's possible. That, that I have no evidence of this, only just a hunch that the person that tried to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh was from his earlier address was Seattle. Uh, and he was armed. He was dressed in black and had all the tools that, you know, Antifa is so skilled at using. Uh, and so I just think that should be investigated, but probably won't be. But now they're all in D.C. They've descended. It looks to me like in the videos I'm watching, they just have a free-for-all that there's really... No one pushing back. They actually lit an American flag on fire in the middle of the street. Uh, In New York City, Antifa's there uh, shouting, blank Fox, blank capitalism. And, of course, they stormed Fox News and had to be fought off. Uh, Protesters in Los Angeles have shut down the 110 freeway. They did that on yesterday. I saw there was like a 1,000 of them marching down uh, the highway. And uh, they overtook it, stopped the traffic. They started assaulting vehicles. Uh, and now they they started marching. I don't know how that ended, but that was yesterday. And in Los Angeles, they were throwing fireworks at policemen. And it's been observed that they are not protesters. They are terrorists. Andy No, who's been our guest, he's the uh, reporter that was uh, first really wrote and exposed Antifa uh, in Los Angeles. He says a member in the green hat, uh, he's describing the video, of the far-left Antifa legal group National Lawyers Guild clashes violently with police at the pro-abortion rights. So this is an attorney who represents Antifa, National Lawyers Guild, fighting out on the streets, fighting in a green hat. And he knows, says, um, in Los Angeles, one of the violent extremists hid behind a black block militant with an umbrella and tried to burn an LAPD HQ officer using a homemade flamethrower. And in Seattle, they attacked a pro-life female. They tackled her to the ground and pepper sprayed her. You can see that in video as well. And in Portland, uh, they assaulted, they've been assaulting these independent journalists. We've interviewed several of them, including Andy No, uh, who go out on the streets and enter into this chaos in order to record what's actually happening. Because you'll notice you're not seeing a lot of that. But, you know, uh, Fox is not going in the middle of this with 
with their cameramen, and I'm not criticizing them for that, but I'm just saying you're not going to hear about this unless these guys, they prepare, they train, uh, they beef up, they're smart. It's like military training, so they can go and uh, go inside of Antifa and go inside the right and actually take video. So that's what's happening. So Mason Lake is one of them who was uh, assaulted yesterday in Portland several times. And uh, we will put, by the way, this is an article uh, from finaltelegraph.com. And I don't, you know, I don't know what that is. But we're going to put that on our Getter page so that you can see this stuff. And you will see when you pull up these sites, you'll have all kinds of blocks. They'll tell you it's uh, dangerous to open it up. And you'll, they'll try to block it so you can't see it. So be persistent uh, because if you're persistent and you get rid of those boxes, you can read it. And it's, uh, it's because they don't want you to see it in case you hadn't figured it that part out. So we'll put that on our, on our getter page. Um, oh, one other thing that I wanted to tell you, this is really personal to all of us. And that is that in uh, Seattle, uh, a pastor preaching on the street, they say he's well known. I don't, they don't give his name though. He's standing there reading from scripture and he's just reading as they're rioting and they come and I, I, there's no video of the first part of this, how it starts out, but the ending of it is that they put him up on a big uh, wooden uh, board sign and they dump him into the street, uh, injuring him. He, when, I, when the video starts, he's lying flat of his back, uh, unable to get up. And the thing that struck me is that nobody's there to help him. Nobody comes. One guy's leaning down next to him, trying to comfort him. Another guy comes by on a bike. It looks like a policeman who is just, if it is a policeman, incredibly cold. Well, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? He needs an ambulance. He needs medical help. And so the protesters then come and stand over him. And they, in another video, they shred his Bible to pieces as they mock him. And uh, that's what happened to a pastor uh, in Seattle. And, and, you know, you wonder why they're out there. What's inspiring them to do this? Well, one person has pointed out that uh, Twitter is just a really handy tool to organize, and that's what they're using. I wonder if... uh, Elon Musk will tolerate this when he takes over Twitter. I hope not. I hope and pray not. But uh, Maxine Waters was out in front of the Supreme Court sort of doing her part. This is clip seven. Out here, you ain't seen nothing yet. Women are going to control their bodies no matter how they try and stop us. They with the Supreme Court. We will defy them. Women will be in control of their bodies. And if they think black women are intimidated or afraid, they got another thought coming. Black women will be out in droves. We will be out by the thousands. We will be out by the millions. We're going to make sure we fight for the right to control our own bodies. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello, young girls. All right. Hello, young girls. Yeah, so blank the Supreme Court. This is one of our congressmen from California, black congressman. Black women are not afraid. Well, you know, they've aborted so many black babies. You'd think black women might care. You'd think that the founder of Planned Parenthood, um, who was a eugenicist who wanted to destroy blacks because she felt they were human weeds, Margaret Sanger, uh, you'd think that uh, Maxine Waters might care, but she doesn't care. It's just so wicked. She's hell-bent on killing babies, and so are they all. Uh, she's not the only one. We have uh, Nancy Pelosi was apoplectic. I want you to hear her response after the decision came down. Clip eight. There's no point in saying good morning because it certainly is not one. This morning, the radical Supreme Court is eviscerating Americans' rights and endangering their health and safety. 
but the Congress will continue to act uh, to overcome this extremism and, extremism and protect the American people. Yes, okay. Well, that's very comforting. Uh, so this is one of the, you know, the Speaker of the House, and then we have uh, Joe Biden who came out. He had a few words to say, too. We'll only listen to just a, a minute or so of this, but this is clip one. Let's listen. Today is a, uh, it's not hyperbole, it suggests a very solemn moment. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States expressly took away a constitutional right from the American people that it had already recognized. They didn't limit it. They simply took it away. That's never been done to a right so important to so many Americans. But they did it. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. Fifty years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided and has been the law of the land since then. This landmark case protected a woman's right to choose, her right to make intensely personal decisions with her doctor, free from the, from the interference of politics. It reaffirmed basic principles of equality, that women have the power to control their own destiny, and it reinforced a fundamental right of privacy, the right of each of us to choose how to live our lives. Now, with Roe gone, let's be very clear. The health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. As chairman and ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, as vice president and now as president of the United States, I've studied this case carefully. I've overseen more Supreme Court confirmations than anyone today, where this case was always discussed. I believe Roe v. Wade was the correct decision as a matter of constitutional law and application of the fundamental right to privacy and liberty in matters of family and personal autonomy. It was a decision on a complex matter that drew a careful balance between a woman's right to choose earlier in her pregnancy and the state's ability to regulate later in her pregnancy. All right. Well, there's a, a lot more. He says that he goes south and he gets really his bitter self. But I find it ironic that the president of the United States would talk about his concern for the health and life of women when now we know from the mouth of his own daughter that this is not for your children to hear, that he showered with his own daughter when she was growing up. She set points to that as part of why she is so messed up in her personal diary. Uh, this is a sick man. Uh, and uh, now we have a sick leadership, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, and no wonder we've come to this point in the country. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings, very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to you on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Myra Flores, United States Representative from Texas's 24th Congressional District. She was elected in a special election to fill the seat made vacant by the retirement of her predecessor. Proverbs 16.3 reminds us of the importance of working hard while following God's plan. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Myra Flores as she serves in the U.S. House of Representatives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There's a life-or-death situation happening at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital in Nashville. The parents of a 7-month-old baby say their son's been denied a life-saving heart transplant. Baby August was turned away because he had not been vaccinated. His parents say vaccines of any kind violate their religious beliefs. To make matters even more difficult, baby August has no spleen. His immune system is severely compromised. Earlier this year, Tennessee lawmakers rejected a bill that would have banned hospitals like Vanderbilt from discriminating against patients because of their vaccination status. Tennessee stands a conservative group, says Governor Bill Lee was directly responsible for killing the legislation. As a result, Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and the Republican-controlled Tennessee legislature have effectively given baby August a death sentence. At this point, the only other option is to pray the governor might intervene and stay the seven-month-old baby's government-sanctioned ex- Execution. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I, I do not view abortion as a, uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy. And I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions. And they ought to be able to have a common ground and consensus as to do that. So that was your president who just told us how horrific. And, and then what you didn't hear was him, you know, whipping up the troops to fight back. Uh, but in 2006, he said he didn't believe abortion was a choice or a right. Uh, it's always a tragedy. Well, that might be closer to reality, what happened to Joe Biden. Well, uh, we know. And I don't want to get off on track on Joe Biden, but I want to talk about the decision that just came back down last Friday because when the decision came down, my thoughts immediately went uh, to all the people that I have had the privilege of working with this last many decades who have laid down their treasure, sometimes their life, who've paid a tremendous price uh, to, to stop the Holocaust of abortion. Um, I just want to say that when this was passed in 1973, I told you earlier, 
hardly anyone in the United States was advocating for abortion unless you lived, you were a few people in New York and a few people in California. This was a radical, radical decision. And so right away, people rose up to fight back. They were horrified at what the Supreme Court had done. And one of those was a mutual friend of my next guest. Uh, it was Joe Shidley. You've heard me talk about Joe, the founder of the Pro-Life Action League, and uh, the uh, call, he was called the Green Beret of the abortion movement. And I, I also need to say to you, what you probably don't understand is that when if you were pro, uh, pro-life in the 80s, or right after Roe was decided and into the 80s, you were trashed beyond measure. You were hated. You were vilified, just like you are now if you're Trump supporters or if you believe in America first. Uh, it was uh, horrendous what they did to people. People lost jobs. And so there was a heavy price paid for holding that position. The The attitudes of the, our country, of our people, have changed through the work of so many of these people. But that's the way it was. So people like Phyllis Schlafly, uh, Joe Scheidler, um, I think of Michael Schwartz, who was my, uh, my worked for me at CWA, a champion who lost jobs because he was so passionate about this. Uh, so on the, at their feet, we lay this praise and thanksgiving to God, of course, who they uh, acknowledged in the battle. Uh, but uh, I've asked Tom Brecker to join me because Tom actually started Thomas More Society to defend Joe Scheidler. Uh, and um, he's been in the battle so long and himself sacrificed so much that I wanted to talk to him about what just happened on Friday. So, Tom, good morning, and thanks for joining me. Right. Good morning, Sandy. Let uh, me just give you a time. let me give you a better introduction. Tom is the the founder and the president and the chief counsel of Thomas More Society. And I think right up front, Tom, I would just really like to know your thoughts. Your thoughts as this decision came down. What came to your mind? What's on your mind? Well, Sandy, just like you, I I was thinking back of uh, so many heroes and heroines who, you know, uh, did so much and worked so hard. And, you know, many of them are still with us, but many of them are are no longer with us. And, of course, Joe Scheidler, uh, our client for so many years, whom we lost, uh, what, just a year and a half ago, didn't live to see this day. And when I say this day, I mean, you know, going back to Friday morning when suddenly the news flashed, Roe versus Wade overruled. And uh, uh, Joe uh, was an ardent, uh, committed, outspoken uh, opponent of this horror abortion, you know, the, the killing of our babies in the womb. And, uh, you know, uh, the things that he did, I think uh, I look back on uh, in retrospect with this victory. Uh, he not only protested, which so many of us do in our own way, but he formed a network, a national network of activists. And I think that was a key part of maintaining a steady drumbeat of protest uh, over the last However many years, my gosh, 50, 50 years yeah. since uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, and I think that had a lot to do with this this result. Uh, you know, the other side kept saying the issue is settled. Uh, you know, it's a constitutional right. It's, it's uh, carved into granite. But no, no, it wasn't. It was built on a house's stand. And uh, finally, justice uh, was done, at least on the national level. But the work uh, goes on, doesn't it? 
Yes, and and we'll talk to that, but I talk about that. But honestly, Tom, I I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that we need to celebrate what just happened. You know, I I look at the the contorted face of Nancy Pelosi. She hardly talks. She's so upset about this. I look at Maxine Waters. You know, going apoplectic, and that brings me great joy. I mean, I think they understand that this is a huge huge victory. Even if now we have to go back to the states and fight, it is a huge victory, and I think we should celebrate it. You know, um, let me make the point uh, that this is such familiar territory to you and to me both. But people need to know, like in the case of Joe, he was so tender. Joe was like out there, like he was like the Green Beret, calling the troops and out there showing a portion, uh, big posters of what abortions did to babies and just fearless. He, he'd studied to be a Benedictine monk. He left, married Anne, had seven children, loved kids, actually counseled women himself, tender as he could be, tender and tough, and uh, nearly lost his house, paid a tremendous price. Uh, as you did too, Tom, I'm sure you could have made a ton of money doing something else in law, but you dedicated your life to this, and you are one of those warriors. So I just want to make people sure people know this. Well, thank um, you. Thank you, Steffi. But, you know, you used to help too when you were a, a steady, outspoken voice uh, on the radio for all these years, and uh and and that's what it uh, it took. And I think now, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I when I say that the work is uh, before us, uh, yes, let's cherish this moment. And uh, in, in view of all the effort that went into achieving this result, and I, you know, I'm optimistic, very optimistic now that I I would think our country may have a kind of spiritual reawakening. Because this veneer of uh, lawfulness, this constitutional aura that uh, the opposition invoked, you know, well, this is a constitutional right. Well, that scared people away. Now they can look at abortion, you know, in the daylight, in the sunlight, and just see it's horror. It's yeah. it's awful. It's, it's enshrining a right to kill, uh, is what Roe v. Wade did. For no reason, any reason, good, bad, or indifferent, or no reason, whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Tom, the other damage yeah. I think about, um, I think about all the women who aborted their babies because they confused what was legal with what was moral, and and so many women were encouraged then by the legalization of this, and so many millions mm-hmm. because of millions of babies that have been aborted. It, it's a travesty. It's an absolute travesty. And I want us to go back for a second on the actual decision, because I think these are historical things that people won't know that I I want them to know. And that is that uh, the case, the main case, Roe versus Wade, uh, was set up, uh, the person, the woman, who was actually Norma McCorvey, it, there was a companion p- case called Doe versus Bolton, and that the woman's name was Sandra Kano. You know this very well, Tom, but I just want people to know. And in each sure. case, in each case... The whole premise, the whole story was an absolute lie fabricated by the radical leftist lesbian women. There was never the case legitimate to be brought before the court for Norma McCorvey or Sandra Kano. They came out and confessed that. Could you just speak to that? Because you dealt with them later with Joe's case. Well, yes, uh, Sandy, my goodness, both uh, Miss Norma, as she liked to be called, and of course, uh, she died as well. Uh, before this day happened, uh, 
uh, you know, and Sandra Kano uh, testified for uh, in Joe's defense at the long trial we had back in what 1998, uh, uh, <laughs> so many years ago, uh, and they told their stories uh, in court. Uh, and uh, in a, uh, in Sandra's case, in the sworn uh, affidavit that uh, she begged me to uh, implore the judge to accept in the record, which he did, uh, you know, that, uh, no, no, Sandra did not want an abortion, uh, she said, and that her position was absolutely misrepresented by uh, her lawyer. And, you know, Sandra's case, uh, together with Roe v. Wade, uh, Miss Norma's case uh, is, is what uh, licensed uh, this killing on demand of your unborn baby up to the moment of birth uh, because, uh, you know, the court uh, justified abortion on any ground, including mental upset, and the abortionists would always put that down for a late, terribly late uh, abortion. So, uh, Yes, indeed. I have those uh, that testimony and, uh, and those papers, and I want to publicize them now because, again, there's an effort being made by the other side to, uh, you know, distort uh, once again that, you know, and I think, uh, you know, Norma's daughter uh, was, I mean, Norma went ahead and had the baby. Uh, the baby was not aborted in the case of Jane Rowe, Norma McCorvey, uh, she gave birth, and uh, uh, maybe that uh, daughter or another daughter, I'm told, really disagreed with uh, Norma coming out and converting to Christianity and speaking out against abortion, and has tried to distort that record. But uh, her view is clear. And yeah. so, and yeah, so I'm glad you came around to that because uh, the the thing, the point is, but one of the points is that the, both of those women became pro-life because they realized how they had been used. Faye Waddington, the uh, the attorney for them, knew full well that she was telling lies in the defense, making making up a case uh, in order to overturn uh, the... To, in order to establish the right to abortion. And I, one other thing that I think is really interesting here that I... Tom, that this I did because I did a... I hosted a video on this when I was... President of CWA, we produced a video on the history of abortion, and I met D- Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who you probably know, was one of the founders, the abortionist founders of NARAL. And um, yes. th- his story, even sitting across from him at the table eating dinner and plus hearing him speak publicly, was that they completely fabricated the number of coat hanger abortions, which is still now used as kind of a sign right now by these radical pro violent revolutionary protesters there were that's this is the thing that they tried to whip the american people up with was the number of women who were experiencing coat hanger abortions and dying and uh the, all the inferences of what that meant but bernard said we actually made those numbers up we would meet and talk about it and then we would pass that on to walter cronkite who was a leftist and happily went on television every night to talk about there were 700,000 coat hanger, you know, whatever he said. Uh, He was a liar and a deceiver, and people don't know that. He was, you know, what what do we call him, America's anchor man or whatever the the title was. He was the one that people trusted, and so he was part of this cabal. um, Anything else about the history of it that you'd want people to know, Tom? Well, I think uh, at the core of the... uh, uh, opinion reversing or overruling Roe uh, was the uh, 
the point made uh, with exclamation points that uh, the history of abortion in the United States was totally distorted and also falsified. Uh, you know, did Justice Blackman, who wrote the opinion, uh, realize that, or was he taken in? They relied on a law review article that was uh, a tissue of lies uh, that, you know, abortion was never illegal at common law. Well, my goodness, it was illegal in all 50 states when Roe, uh, you know, came down in January 1973, uh, and it had been frowned on. I mean, science uh, back in the 19th century was uh, not so far advanced as it is now when we grandparents are you know, our our uh, daughter-in-law sent us uh, uh, copies of ultrasound images of our grandchild in the womb. <laughs> you know, uh, so now you know we see so much that wasn't seen before, and yet still it was frowned on. It was known this was a killing that was, uh, you know, uh, immoral. You know, Tom. Uh, no Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was immoral. I have to tell you, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. I mean, I grew up in the the, all the the violence. I was in Berlin, Germany. I moved there when I was 21, and I was uh, in an office just looking for some paper at Berlin Brigade, where my husband at the time worked. And I uh, looked in this drawer, and I saw a bunch of brochures, and I just pulled one of them out because they had these strange photographs. And as I looked at it, this was 1973, and I'm overseas, and I, I have to tell you, when I was growing up, we never even, I heard, I knew the word abortion, but I had no idea what it meant. And I knew mm-hmm. that it was a word we didn't say. We didn't use that word. That's how anathema it was. So I look at this brochure, and I see these photographs, maybe coming from Joe, who knows, of babies torn apart, and I'm telling you, I was like a knife in my heart. I often say it's like, it's like um, a pornographic image that men will talk about that that imprints in your brain, and you can't get rid of it. It was a pornographic image for my mind, and that was that was the genesis, really, of my passion on this issue. I had no idea, Tom. That's how innocent we were in this country before abortion was legalized. So well, um, it's. It's true in so many cases that we simply, you know, uh, we're not in the operating room, if that's what they call it, the procedure room of these clinics. We don't see uh, this kind of thing. You know, we have a big case going on in Washington, D.C. now where, you know, they uh, discovered uh, late-term babies who were being picked up by, you know, a biohazardous waste service. Uh, so those were photographed and made public. And again, you know, every time one of these disclosures happen, happens, uh, people are just uh, uh, repelled and repulsed. And, you know, this can't be. Is this going on? And yes, it is. <laughs> and and uh, those bodies were shipped uh, where? To an incinerator that's part of the generation process for electricity for the city of Baltimore. I mean, it's just awful. Uh, we read about uh, Dachau and Auschwitz, and my God, it's going on in their own backyard. And it has been uh, for a long time. You think of the movie Kermit Gosnell, the horror f- that reminded me of Auschwitz and the experiments, uh, the, the the babies that they would keep in his home in jars. You know, I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's I, I don't think I'll ever not 
cry over some of the horrific things that we have learned. I, I think of, uh, you know, David Dalyden, who is your client, uh, exposing Planned Parenthood and uh, their, the way they treated baby body parts and harvested them. Um, well, for money, you know, there great sums of money were involved, uh, billions of dollars. And uh, uh, the truth is, is still uh, trying to work its way out into the public domain, the opposition. This whole idea of a right of privacy, to me, is a big cover-up. And, uh, you know, the more we know about these things, the more we're shocked. And, and we, we, we can't let that go. We've got to hold on to uh, these uh, reactions we have when these disclosures come out, because the other side uh, scrambles and hastens to cover them up again and make us forget and pretend. I call it the ethic of the averted eye. They want us to just look away. Of course, that's what Nazi Germany achieved, and that's why all those horrors happened over there. Well, you know, another person that we think of, and so many, uh, Nellie Gray, the founder of March for yes. Life, uh, Henry Hyde was a witness in the Scheiker case. Yes. And I remember, <laughs> yes, and again, he's, we've lost him, we've lost Nellie, and, but they're up in heaven looking down and feeling, uh, I hope, some sense of achievement because they had so much to do with this, but uh, he yes, was pressed by opposition. You know, why, how can you say that you support legal protest when you defend this fellow Scheidler, uh, who, uh, you know, with Operation Rescue with Randall Terry, uh, you know, that you they break the law? And he said, Well, I'll tell you why, because uh, this is Dachau and Auschwitz. And uh, he said that on the witness stand in open court, and the judge slammed down his gavel and quiet, and any further outburst, I'll clear the courtroom, <laughs> just like in the movies. You know, Congressman but, Hyde was, yeah. uh, just so people know, because they don't know, uh, he was a congressman yeah. from Illinois, a good friend of ours that were in the pro-life movement in Illinois. He is the author of the Hyde Amendment that is still at issue in every piece of legislation, funding and all of this, which prevents tax dollars from going to pay for abortions. That was Henry Hyde. I got this picture, Tom, I have a picture of Congressman Hyde pushing my daughter Sasha in a wheelchair. I don't know, oh, I just mentioned God. that, it's just the very sweet, because yeah. he was so dedicated to life. He was very involved in uh, helping raise money for a home for severely disabled children. Uh, he was the real deal, and one of the most articulate congressmen we ever had. And just um, and, and courageous and outspoken, and that's yes. what it takes. Yes, all right, so um, in, we have a minute left. The next battle, where do you see it? I know it's in the States, but any formulated like plan here or hint that you can give us? Well, quickly, uh, you know, we have plans that we're formulating and we want to act on them and not spend too much time formulating. But uh, going after not only uh, red states, but blue states. But in the red states, we're working with Jonathan Mitchell, the famous well, he, he should be famous, uh, you know, author of the Texas Heartbeat Law, and we're going to try and get abortion banned in as many red states as possible, and uh, then we'll work on the blue states. And the key <laughs> let, me say that, let me say the Thomas More Society had a great deal to do with the overturning of Roe versus Wade through their writings and briefs that they submitted to the Supreme Court. They've been in the thick of all of this, and uh, this, let the record show uh, that Tom Brecca and the Thomas More Society were uh, in the center of all of this, doing just defending with all arms, fighting constantly. 
And my hat is off, and my thanks is to you, Tom, and to our deceased friends who really laid down their lives and their possessions to fight this wickedness. And I think, thank you, Lord, for this great gift, uh, at least right now in our nation. And Tom, thank you for all that you did, and I hope we can talk again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Thank you. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. Exploring the Word. I think it's wiser to lay the issue out before God than to tell God what to do. That's very wise, and it takes a level of trust to do that. I trust you, Lord. Makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, you're able to deliver us from this fiery, burning furnace. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. We trust you no matter what. Join Bert Harper and Alex McFarland weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In the burning bush encounter, Scripture records that it began as Moses kept Jethro's flock. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Notice God didn't speak to Moses until he gave full attention to what God was trying to show him. Diligent attention to daily duty is necessary. We must be careful, however, not to allow duty to become an idol. Are our hearts still sensitive to God? Can God still get our attention? Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Introducing AFA Streaming, a new online platform that hosts all AFA-produced video content, including documentaries, church curriculum, American Family Radio shows, and our Cultural Institute series. The Constitution only works in the atmosphere of Christianity. Critical race theory and intersectionality are new religious frameworks. The Christian must say, as Paul said to the Galatians, there is no new gospel. AFA Streaming is a vital step that we are taking to fulfill our vision to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. You'll find top-notch resources that address the issues of our day related to marriage, family, the sanctity of life, and many others. Start streaming today, streaming.afa.net. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Leaders of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa met virtually last week in what amounted to an ominous throwdown to the United States and its dollar's privileged status as the world's reserve currency. The Russians and Chinese have been trying for some time to supplant the dollar, especially following the financial punishment meted out to Russia's ruble and economy following Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. 
Now, they appear to have the buy-in of not only South Africa for a, quote, BRICS, unquote, basket of currencies, but two putative American allies, Brazil and India. It remains to be seen how fast this alternative to the dollar will materialize and with what effect. But the present impetus behind it makes more likely a scenario we should dread, when we can no longer sustain profligate spending and economic dominance by simply printing more money. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The leaders of the Democrat Party have failed to forcefully condemn the violence and threats and hold the perpetrators accountable. There could be no greater illustration of the two-tiered system of justice. We've never had anything like what's going on right now that we have in our country than the fact that At the very moment, the radical Democrats were staging a ridiculous fake trial over January 6th. Their party leaders are saying nothing about the violent intimidation of the United States Supreme Court. They refuse to talk about it. They refuse to do anything. As you have seen, the vile group of unhinged partisans and craven lunatics on the unselect committee are pushing a fake and fabricated narrative based on doctored video lies and testimony that is totally uncontested by cross-examination. The lies are unbelievable. It's a disgrace to our country. A bunch of rhinos get up. They're going to make their name big for a day. Everything they're showing is ripped utterly out of context, such as when Liz Cheney, a real loser she is, cut out. Cut out the part of my quote in a speech that I made, a certain speech, that said that their voices should be heard peacefully and patriotically. She left those words out. Would you say that's nice? She left them out. It's a sham. Think of that. She left out the words peacefully and patriotically. All right. So that's the president of the United States, former Donald Trump. And he is uh, two things. First of all, thank you. President Trump for giving us Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Amy Coney Barrett, who joined Judge Alito and Justice uh, uh, Thomas to overturn Roe versus Wade. If Donald Trump had never been elected, this would never have happened. I tell you, in my lifetime, I didn't think it would ever happen. I didn't think we would ever have Roe versus Wade overturned. Because of President Trump, we did. You talk about a man who accomplished an incredible amount in such a short time. Uh, I think, uh, you know, because of the J6 committee hearings and the the smearing and slander and some of his missteps on endorsements, um, uh, people have been quick, you know, I don't know why we are so feckless, but we are quick to leave the people that we support, but he deserves all the human praise possible for what just happened. And then, of course, it's interesting because he was at a rally. That was statement was made at a rally on Saturday uh, in uh, central Illinois, which we'll talk about more tomorrow. Uh, and he was there to support Congresswoman Mary Miller. Now, you notice in the last part of that, he talked about the J6 committee hearing, uh, the, the unselect committee, well put. But let me just point this out to you. Um, a report from... Uh, House investigators 
is showing that how this won't be a surprise to those of us that have been paying attention, but it'll be a surprise to other people. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is largely to blame for the security lapse at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. While Capitol Police were understaffed, Pelosi's House Sergeant-at-Arms repeatedly turned down requests from the Pentagon for National Guard assistance, and officers were ill-equipped and undertrained. It's almost as if she wanted the whole thing to happen. Now, here's where it gets twisted, so stay with me. You probably know that tomorrow is a primary in several states in Illinois, Mississippi, South Carolina, Maryland, New York, Oklahoma, and Utah. And in the few minutes that I have left, I want to just give you some tidbits on those races, uh, and then we'll do uh, much more in-depth tomorrow. Uh, But in Illinois, that's why President Trump was there. So this report that's referenced in this article I just read you about showing Nancy Pelosi orchestrated the security breakdown uh, is from Republican investigators, Representative Jim Banks from Illinois and Rodney Davis, Jim Banks from Indiana, and Rodney Davis from Illinois. Now here's the deal. Ronnie Davis is a Republican congressman from central Illinois. Mary Miller is a Republican congresswoman from central Illinois. Their districts have been merged, and so they are running against each other. Ronnie Davis has a terrible record. He is a full-blown capital R rhino. On the January 6th committee, He voted yes for that committee. He voted yes. He's done lots of other things, but he at least did that. He also is on the committee that refuses to release the video of what happened in the Capitol that day. He could do that, but he hasn't done it. He's been silent on January 6th until now when he's running to be elected in that district. Mary Miller, on the other hand, is a dyed-in-the-wool, strong, passionate, conservative Uh, But they're running neck and neck in that district, and uh, thats I just wanted you to be aware of that. This is the way the game is played. Suddenly, uh, oh, by the way, the Republican establishment is running. They're coming in with tons of money. Rodney Davis is running all of these uh, ads against Mary Miller, which are distorted. Uh, They're spending all this money in this small area of central Illinois. Uh, And they've got him on this committee now because now he's a champion. Now, suddenly, as of the last week or so, he's a champion on J6, fighting back. Fighting back for your good. Not fighting back, you know, when it really counted, but now he's, you know, he's all over it. So this is the way it's played, and it's very dangerous, and it's disgusting to me. I want to tell you about a couple of other things. South Carolina has a a race. Crystal Matthews is running for uh, state senate. And now audio has been leaked by Project Veritas of Crystal Matthews talking to an inmate in prison at the Perry Correctional Institute. Let's just listen in. This is clip 17. We need some secret sleepers. Like, we need need them to run as the other side, even though they're for our side. And we need them to win. We need people to run as Republicans in these local elections. This is the only way you're going to change the the dynamics in South Carolina. We can battle them in public all day. As long as we know we're working for the same goal, for me, I feel like, Y'all, we need sleepers. When we get enough of us in there, we can wreak havoc for real from the inside out. Then we can flip some from the inside out. We got to take back some of these seats, especially in these local elections. We need a group of sleepers. And I still got to struggle to raise money for my campaign. Where the is my black people with money? I don't care about no dope money. Give me that dope boy money. Where the dope? Where the duffel bag boys? 
Get you find you somebody in your family that don't even know you donating to my campaign and put that shit under their name. Honestly, these ain't the same type of black people that I grew up around. I don't recognize these black people. All right, I'm going to so, interrupt because wait, he goes. She goes on to talk about I can pretend I can speak like anyone. I can pretend I'm this or that. We need sleepers, people to uh, run as Republicans who are really on our side, and we need dope money. He's telling. She's telling. I don't. I think the link is. This is. I'm not. This is my impression. That whoever this was in prison is helping fund her campaign. I think she says that later. They don't know you're helping fund my campaign. And again, it's Crystal Matthews who's running for Senate in South Carolina. Those of you in South Carolina, I just thought you might find that interesting. And then in, in Utah, uh, M- Mike Lee is in trouble. And I, Mike Lee is really one of our stalwart champions in the Senate. And you know who's challenging him? It is, and you probably are listening to this, some of you. Evan McMullen is his challenger. Evan left the Republican Party and became an independent. The Democrats then turned around and endorsed Evan McMullen. So Evan McMullen is challenging Mike Lee. And you may remember that Evan McMullen ran against President Trump. Uh, He was uh, one of the candidates, and he was supported by guess who? Well, let's see. The Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project supported Evan McMullen. The Lincoln Project, headed by Kelly Conway's husband, George, who has become a disgrace from my perspective. So was the Lincoln Project from my perspective. But they loved Evan McMullen. But in order to, you know, cross over, he's declared himself an independent and he's challenging uh, Republican Mike Lee. And the Democratic Party has endorsed and refused to run a candidate, and and they're now backing Evan McMullen in Nevada. That's happening, or Utah, I mean. And that's happening tomorrow. And uh, so if you have friends in Utah, uh, we we will put this article. It's it's from desert.com. How bad do Utah Democrats want Mike Lee out? And um, that that article gives you a lot of insight. And tomorrow we'll talk more. Oklahoma, of course, we'll talk about that. Uh, South Carolina, Mississippi, we'll talk about that in Illinois in greater depth tomorrow. But meanwhile, those of you in those states, it's time to, you know, do a little research. Don't forget iVoterGuide. iVoterGuide is a great source of information about where the candidates stand on issues. So equip yourself and get ready to go into the polls and make a huge difference. Just, Just don't give up. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.